Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... People only come for help, not because they're feeling really anxious, but because it's started to affect their life. And actually, it's the avoidance more often than not, um, or the thing that I do to get rid of my anxiety, it's that that causes more trouble than the anxiety itself. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot, and here's your host, Jake Lowe. It is time for your weekly dose of running motivation. This is Running With Jake, the podcast. Welcome back. We have another awesome show lined up for you today to try and get you motivated, fired up. We want to help you share those tips, those pieces of running advice. It's going to help you to get the most out of this awesome sport. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast, of course. We don't want you to miss an episode. We also have the quick hits, which are those short, coffee time, bite-sized podcast just to keep you going and the full episodes are released every wednesday don't forget to subscribe using your mobile app and of course pete i feel i need to mention because i can see you looking at me on the video phone you're like you've got that you've got that look about you saying don't forget to mention ratings and reviews yes of course yeah 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 that's very important that stuff i don't really understand why but it is really important Mm, i think so so if you do have a moment and you feel so inclined then please do take a moment to leave us a lovely rating and review actually we don't often sort of talk about uh, feedback from people because I you know I hate that on podcasts you know when they go on about oh we're great because we've had so many listeners or so many downloads or the, these we've had so much great feedback thanks for your emails but actually I really feel I want to mention this Pete and I'll, I'll tell you why this is to you and to me this is it's including you you are part of the whole running thing now as a running guy as a Am running I? guy I'm not a running guy you're becoming but motivational this is good just tell me about the feedback I want to thank Rianne for this message she sent me a message on Facebook saying hey Jake I just need to send you a quick message, you and Pete, and a massive thank you. Training has been awful over the past few months. Really difficult training for London, not knowing if it's going ahead. And only having one day a week to do so, to train, has been really tough mentally. And motivation has been pretty low. But your podcast just gives me a boost week after week to get through it. How awesome is that? That's what we're about. That is really nice. That's great. Last week, uh, Rianne was aiming to do eight miles and she kind of sacked it off, as we all do on occasions. It happens, Rianne. And then she says, right, dusted herself down. I'm going to smash eight miles. And she had a target time in her mind of, of one hour 40. She's right, I'm going to do it. And she put on two podcasts, two episodes, and then she, she lined up a quick hit as well. And she finished it in one hour 36. And, like, she was absolutely elated. I could tell. She was like, "So, thank you so much for both being amazing and positive and keeping it real. You've made such a huge difference to my mental fitness. I mean, that's great, isn't it? That's really nice. But the, what happens is, all of a sudden, when you're starting to get good feedback and people say how much they like the podcast, that puts expectation yeah, on you. Yeah, pressure. So now I'm thinking, there's pressure. There's yeah. pressure to perform. There's pressure to motivate. Well, fortunately, we do have a cracking show lined up for you. So this is good news. This is good news. Now, the one thing we're talking about is obviously COVID and the lockdown and coming out of lockdown and races being cancelled and as we record this episode we still don't know about the London Marathon the director has issued another announcement but the announcement really was saying there's no announcement we'll let you know in a few weeks so people are (laughs) still hanging around wanting to know what's going on but I tell you bigger news Pete have you seen this? What's that? Garmin Garmin has been down. Garmin has been down. The server's been offline. Jurassic Park is offline. <laughs> People have been going absolutely mad. <laughs> up in arms, up in arms, if you like. Because, of course, you know, you can't upload your sessions to Strava, which makes it really difficult. And the classic phrase, if it's not on Strava, then it didn't 
happen. This is one of the reasons that even though I do run, and I run probably three or four times a week now, and I'm probably doing about 5k, I'm not really sure, but that's the point. Uh, and this is a reason I can still say that I'm not a running guy, because I might be a person who runs occasionally every week, several times, to help me feel better about the world, but um, I, I'm not actually an official running guy, because I'm not like you lot. I don't measure everything. I don't know where I've been. I don't know how far I've been. I don't know how long it's taken. I don't. I, I must admit, I downloaded a Strava but I used it a couple of times. I went, oh, that's really good. And now I just can't even be bothered to start the app. I can't even be bothered to start it. I can't... I, I, so I'm very much not a running guy because I'm not into um, I'm not into weights and measurements or anything like that. No, I do see your point, to be honest. And do you know what? I think there's real beauty in that almost innocence, if you like, Pete. Because, to be honest, in all seriousness, runners can, and I, I'm a runner, and this does happen to me on occasions, you mm. can get caught up in those facts and figures and data and, and, and the kudos to a degree, you know, getting the recognition from people for your session and looking at the numbers and the pace and all that. And actually... The beauty in just going out there and you saying, well, I don't know, I think it's about 5K, maybe a bit further, I'm not really sure. I think that's a really nice thing and probably why it is helping you to feel better about the world at the moment. I mean, I do say this to a lot of my runners, you know, and, and people that follow me on, on the various channels. Actually, there is a place, yes, to track your pace and, and all this stuff and metrics mm. and heart rate, especially if you want to improve your performance and you're working towards a real goal, like, you know, a race, a big goal. But actually, just sometimes going out there and running for the sheer heck of it, because yeah, you just yeah. want to, you just want to run. I think that's that's really nice. One of my runners, Chris, he said in the group, our WhatsApp group the other day, he said, "I'm going to have a naked run tomorrow," and everyone's like, "What? What are you going on about?" And he said, <laughs> "Well, Garmin's down. I'm going to seize the opportunity to leave the watch behind. I've got a rough idea of this route, so I know I'm not going to go too far, and I'm just mm. going to run free, and I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm going to take in my surroundings, and I'm just going to feel quite liberated." And he did. He came back and he put in the group. That was just awesome and a real nice break from checking the watch. I spend all day long getting stressed about stuff and having a hard time at work and worrying about this that and the other and then maybe I'll post something online and I go oh it's not got many likes or anything or blah 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 blah, blah. trying trying to chase clients down and doing all this kind of thing but then if I can get uh, and all of my my entire life is based on metrics and then if I can uh, go out and run and forget about all that kind of stuff I can tire myself out and then all that nervous energy and that stuff that's built up during the day that completely goes so I think I just I don't want to get involved in all that kind of stuff. That makes perfect sense. I mean, it could change, of course, because things do. When people say, oh, I'm never going to run a marathon, I'm just, I'm quite happy doing 5K. And the next thing, they're like, hmm, I wonder if I can run further. And so the story <laughs> unfolds. But I don't know whether you're going to be impressed with me or completely disgusted. Mm. I've gone to the next level in terms of detail and metrics okay. and numbers. Right. Do you want to know what I've just ordered? Um, tell me, please. A trundle wheel. You know the old trundle wheel? Like what, a, like a, a wooden, meter wheel. You know, like back at school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. at school, yeah. I, 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 I've ordered what? one. I ordered one from the Yatton Hardware Store. Yatton <laughs> Hardware Store, it's called. I went in, and the little man there, <laughs> and he sorted me out. They didn't have any in stock, so he's ordered me one. But how, how awesome is that going to be? And the reason being, the park that I run in, I just yeah. want to go out and accurately measure certain distances, like 200 metres, 300 metres, etc. What are you going to do? You're going to want... tow the wheel while you're running? How do you do, how do, you do it? What do you... Well, no, I'm get, no, I'm not going to run with it. I'm, I'm just going out. I'm going to walk with it, and I'm going to oh, measure right. and go, right, okay, that's so many clicks, that's X amount of distance, and then I'll mark it so that I know, so I'll I'll use, like, the trees or whatever, so I know, right, from that tree to that tree is 400 metres, and then I know, because we haven't got a running track down here, so I need right. to know, like, the, that, it's, that it's accurate. So, yeah, I've, I've gone to the next level. I think the last time I used a trundle wheel was when I was measuring how far through a beanbag in school. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a few years ago. I must admit, when I was in the Yatton Hardware store, I was like, 
do I, I wonder if I should ask him if he's got any beanbags in stock. That would be quite interesting, like as a warm-up or something. Yeah, the problem is with you, you've got a very short span of attention sometimes, so while you're pushing the wheel, surely you're going to lose count, aren't you? Well, there is that, yeah, but I, it's fine because I got one with a mini counter and it took him ages oh, and there's nice. a cute building up behind me. I mean, obviously, it's one in, one out at the moment. Sure. And he fi- I don't think anybody's ever ordered one of these things from him. Anyway, he finally dusted out this old directory and he found in this catalogue the trundle wheel. It's like, yeah, I want one with a counter, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he was just about to order it mm. and it was green, this trundle wheel. I was like, have you, have you got any in blue? I just really <laughs> fancied one in blue. Do you know what I mean? But subsequently... I've got a green trundle wheel on order. I'm quite excited, actually. I might let you have a go when you're finally allowed to come down and visit. Oh, I can't wait. Running with Jake, the podcast. Your weekly dose of running motivation. Out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. Now, we all want to use running to improve our physical fitness, but we also know that the mental side of training and our mental well-being is so, so important. We like to talk about this a lot on the show. We want to help you to feel better physically and mentally. And who better to speak to than a professor of psychological therapies? Ted, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad at all. It's great to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited about this. As I, as I mentioned, uh, we we know that there is a huge relationship between mental health and running. Mm. Exercise, of course, so we you know we hear so many people that turn to exercise for those amazing benefits, not just the, I suppose, the glory of crossing the finishing line and achieving a medal. It's more about what, what that means to certain individuals mm. and what's going on behind the scenes. You know, people's sort of, I suppose, reason really as to why they get involved in in the sport in the first place but just let, let's just take it step uh, back a step initially sure. tell me a little bit about cbt or cognitive behavioral therapy for those people that don't really know what that is because obviously you're an expert in this this is one of the things that you teach people mm. how to be cognitive behavioral therapists what actually is it in layman's terms that's a good question so it's essentially the the most commonly used approach to help people with depression or a wide range of anxiety disorders, particularly, um, you know, OCD, social anxiety, uh, generalised anxiety, panic attacks, that kind of thing. So generally in the UK, if you go for some help through your GP, or indeed it's worth knowing that a lot of the services these days actually are self-referral. You don't have to go through your GP if it's something you're struggling with. And those are the services that I have worked for historically. And most of the therapists that I've trained are working in those, those areas. So cognitive means thinking and behavioural means doing. So it's about assuming that when we get anxious or when we get low or when we get angry, it's not just the situation or it's not just the thing that's in front of us that makes us feel that way. There might be something about the way that we interpret the situation as well. So, for example, if you are somebody that expects yourself to meet particular standards you might get more annoyed by making a mistake than somebody that doesn't have those standards so it's not only what happens it's how you feel about what happens or how you've interpreted what happens as well at a very simple level you could use the example of you are more likely to be scared of dogs if you have been bitten by a dog no two people have the same experiences and therefore no two people have the same world view or the same reactions to things. So cognitive behavioural therapy is a very kind of active therapy. You don't kind of just sit and talk. You actively try and understand what is it that's going on here for me, both in terms of the way that I'm thinking about things and is there something that I can change there about my mindset or about the, what I'm assuming will happen here? 
And indeed, how do I react to it? So when I start to feel anxious or I'm getting annoyed about something, what do I do and is that helping me? So it looks at both of those things and, yeah, tries to help. I think so many people can relate to this, especially runners, because of, I believe, the pressures that people put on themselves. I certainly put a lot of pressure on myself. I have done over the years of running. But I find that fascinating what you're talking about there, you know. It's, it's almost like what, what you're giving it a meaning. So that event that has occurred, that thing that has happened, you, you attach a meaning to it, and that, that then affects how you feel about it and, I guess, what actions you take from that that point moving forward i mean we all know that we have this inner dialogue almost constant inner dialogue and and you know runners have this battle of uh, i'm not a proper runner right you know I'm, I'm i'm too too large to be a proper runner i'm not fast enough to be a proper runner and it's kind of overcoming those things when i mean it must these sort of feelings of anxiety ted i guess there must be a point where it becomes problematic mm. because i guess and correct me if i'm wrong in this but I, I, sort of anxiety is is when a decision hasn't been reached somebody's there's uncertainty there somebody doesn't know what the outcome is but that I guess could be interpreted also as kind of I guess excitement wrapped up with a little bit of sort of adrenaline. When does it then become kind of problematic? Does, does that make sense? Is yeah, there a, I guess what I'm asking is there a healthy amount of anxiety that we can experience as as runners? Probably the short answer is yes, and the kind of longer answer is that an anxiety response. Whenever you're getting an anxiety response, we all kind of know what that feels like. It would be slightly different for everybody, but. Um, Worth saying as well that when I use the word anxiety, I'm kind of using it as an umbrella term, if you like. So, sure. So, covering from you know a tiny little worry that's kind of buzzing around in the background for days through to full blown panic attack. They're both part of the anxiety response, but different intensity, different kind of level, if you like. So, that's worth saying because I think that gets misunderstood sometimes and. It's always, always, always your body's response to a threat. That's what it is. So it's there to get you ready to deal with things like predators. So if a tiger walks in the room, you and I both have the same response, basically, which is, well, <laughs> our bodies have the same response. Either gets you ready to run away really, really quick or to fight. So essentially what Yeah, I'm gone. I'll be honest with you. I'm gone. I mean, yeah. it's, it's lovely talking to you on the phone, but I tell you something, if a tiger walks in here now, I'm out of here, Spot, just yes. so you know. Yeah, I'm not going to stick around and fight either. <laughs> I don't really rate my chances. So it's that's what it's there for. It's to get you to... All your body is interested at that point is where's the threat and where's the exit? It's all it's bothered about. Sure. So your heart starts pumping a bit faster. Your breathing gets a bit more shallow. Essentially, it replicates what happens if you, you, know, if you sprint for 100 metres from standing still... And then you just stop suddenly. You'll feel your heart pounding. Your breathing will be really shallow. Like <sighs> You'll be sweating. <laughs> you might get a bit dizzy. Uh, your stomach will feel a bit weird. And essentially, your body's doing the exact same thing. It wants your muscles to work really well. So it's trying to get oxygen into your bloodstream, hence the shallow breathing. Pump it around your body really quickly to get it to your muscles and make them move. What it doesn't need to do is think particularly clearly. You don't need to be able to do philosophy or maths when there's a tiger in the room. You need to be able to run and fight. So it's a totally normal, natural response. And whenever you feel any anxiety, that is because your brain has spotted some sort of threat. But the problem being that most of the time we get annoyed at ourselves because we're stood there thinking, well, what's scary about this? You know, there's no tiger. I'm about to start a race. (laughs) There's no tiger. Nothing's going to happen here that's going to do me in. But some things look scary to us because of what they mean about us as ourselves, if that makes sense. So 
we don't only get scared about actual kind of physical danger. We also get scared about letting ourselves down or letting our expectations down. Because as we grow up, we learn, you know, what do people value me for? If I'm perhaps if you're really good at sports when you're a kid, you learn I have a place in this group as long as long as I succeed in my sports. And that can be a really positive feeling. But the flip side of that might be that you get more wound up or more kind of scared or angry when you don't meet those expectations. Because essentially what your body is spotting there is, hold on, we've learned as we've grown that you're safe in this group as long as you are the fast one or you are the athletic one and you're letting us down here. That's dangerous. What are you going to be? Imagine like the chimpanzee in an Attenborough show, the chimp that's really big and strong. He feels fine as long as he's the biggest and the strongest but he feels uncomfortable if he injures himself or if there's somebody else that's bigger and stronger, then he feels really uncomfortable. It's strange, isn't it? Because as, as I listen to you, Ted, and I find this stuff absolutely fascinating, and I think this is one of the reasons we really wanted you on the show. This is weekly dose of running motivation, but getting into the mindset of runners, and we're talking about effectively the fight or flight response here, I guess. Mm. You know, there's danger, get me out of this room, <laughs> I want to get away from that tiger. And obviously there's real physical threats, but then there's those things that go on inside our head. But people put themselves in uncomfortable situations when they enter races, don't they? And I do wonder whether that's always such a, a good thing in the sense that if somebody's really driven and they're really up for, right, there's this 10K coming up. I mean, I know you've done some races, Ted, mm. so you can completely relate to this. Right, there's a, there's a race coming up. I'm up for that. I want to break this time. So straight away, there's pressure on that individual. And I always think, well, if that person can rise to the challenge of that pressure, because some people, re they respond differently, don't we? And if we, if we like that pressure and we, we're up for the challenge. But actually, if we're somebody that's perhaps a little bit more fearful, somebody that you know, it's not totally in tune with their flight or fight response. They're putting themselves in a, a, in an unsafe situation in their mind because there's a greater chance of, of failure if they don't achieve that time in that race. I just, I'm really interested to know how people can manage that and how people can understand themselves before they go into a particular event to almost, I guess, manage their expectations. It kind of boils down to what are you doing it for, if that makes sense. And sometimes we're not, we don't, we don't do things because we've kind of consciously chosen to do them if that makes sense we do them we're much more driven by the fear that we feel it sounds like part of that question is you know should you put yourself in a situation if it makes you feel really anxious absolutely and actually interestingly so anxiety is normal when people come for help people only get come for help not because they're feeling really anxious but because it started to affect their life that's when people come for help so it's not the anxiety in itself usually it's when it's stopping them doing things and actually, it's the avoidance more often than not, um, or the thing that I do to get rid of my anxiety, it's that that causes more trouble than the anxiety itself. So for example, if you're feeling really anxious about social situations, that only becomes a problem when you start to really avoid social situations and you're stuck in your house on your own. One of the brilliant things about exercise and particularly running and particularly some of the things that we've got going on now, you know, with the catch to 5k things and all of those different bits and pieces, is it can be a really good leveller. It can get people that have never done any exercise whatsoever because they hate the idea of going out there in, you know, lycra <laughs> or, or getting themselves all sort of red and sweaty. And they, it's a really scary idea. But doing it in a massive group of people feels a little bit more comfortable. And actually, this thing that they've been avoiding for years and years and years, they can start doing it in a reasonably safe way and in a way that they don't have to be perfect at it. But equally, you can use it in an unhelpful way Again, if it's not kind of conscious, 
if you are somebody that usually sets yourself really high expectations or usually gets chases that satisfaction that brief satisfaction you get from achieving things what you can do is get yourself in a bit of a loop or a bit of a the phrase I have is like a hamster wheel where you're running and running and running towards something but you never really get there because <laughs> it keeps moving further ahead that's what really high standards can do to people sometimes you could get two people finishing a race with the exact same time one of them's elated and one of them's absolutely devastated the question yeah. you asked about yeah. when does it become unhelpful particularly at the start of a race for example is what does it make you want to do so for example if you are stood at the start of a race thinking I've got to get this time and you know I need to get this time if I don't I'm going to be devastated it does two things one it affects you physically so all that stuff stuff starts kicking off which isn't necessarily the end of the world because you know your heart's pounding a bit faster your blood's moving a bit quicker maybe that's okay but one some of the things more subtle things you might notice is you know how do you hold yourself when you're feeling really confident how do you stand where does your chin go where do your shoulders go what happens there when you're feeling scared or when you're not feeling confident? You might sort of start to hunch over a little bit. Your eyes start to go to the ground. You don't look at the horizon. So managing kind of what, when I feel anxious, what does that make me do is a really useful question. The other thing it could do if you're really pushing yourself too hard, it can make you make decisions that don't help you anyway. So I really need to win this race. So you just end up running that little bit quicker than you intended to <laughs> at the beginning uh, or pushing yourself that little bit harder. But for me, even before you get to that point, there's a really fundamental question, which is, why are you doing this? What is it that getting that quicker time is going to do for you? Is it going to make you feel better about yourself? And the question I would then ask is, how come you can't feel better about yourself without getting that time? I listened to, a, to an interview recently, uh, very recently, with Paula Radcliffe, mm. and she was asked the question, which I thought was a fantastic question. And, you know, somebody like Paula Radcliffe has had every single question possible thrown her way. <laughs> and this stopped her in her tracks a little bit. This uh, person interviewing her said, you know, you, you've achieved some absolutely amazing things, the accolades, the achievements, world records. Does that define you? Does it define who you are as a person? And it really took her a little bit of time just to come back. And, and the, the, the answer, effectively, the short answer, was, was no, it doesn't define her. And I think that's something that I don't know whether sometimes runners can almost view a, an individual run that they've done on a Wednesday after work. That defines me. That defines me for today or for this week. And it didn't go particularly well. Or I wanted to break this time in a race. I didn't. And, you know, that defines me as a runner. And, and I'm not sure that's entirely true at all. And I think the whole thing about what's your reason, why are you doing it, what do you want out of it, when you do achieve whatever goal it is you want to achieve, and you do achieve that, what does that mean to you? Mm. Because it means more than just a medal and a T-shirt. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of that. Now, I know you're no stranger to, to running, Ted. Take mm. me back to the Robin Hood marathon that you did. Did you experience <laughs> any of these things that we're talking about? I mean, the, unfortunately, the Robin Hood marathon is, is no more. I believe it's it's just a half mm. a half marathon now. But at the time, they did the full marathon. Was that a number of years ago? And, and did you can you recall it? Did you feel any of the things we're talking about today? Oh, absolutely. When I was a kid, I had a story about myself which was, well, it was true, I think, when I was a kid, which was I wasn't athletic, I wasn't sporty. Um, actually, it's not true at all. So I was, I'll have you know, I was trampolining county champion uh, two years out. <laughs> 12 and 13. We've still 13. got the certificate. We like proof. Oh, okay, we yeah, like credentials on the show. Well, so <laughs> My mum will have yeah. it. <laughs> my mum will have it. I've got framed. I'd grown up. So that was maybe 12 or 13. But when I, was, when I was small, you know, I wasn't interested in football, didn't think I could run, really. And 
uh, my parents, I got picked out of my school as somebody who would be good at ballet. So they sent me off for this trial at ballet. So I did ballet and trampolining. And, you know, being a young boy, people don't tend to respect that quite as much as, you know, being top goal scorer <laughs> in school football team. You know, as an adult, you look at that and you think, well, that's great. You know, you were really good at that. Fair enough. But as a kid... The story I kind of carried around with myself was, you know, I, I'm not sporty. That's not something I am. I'm not athletic. It's patently not true when I look back. Particularly running, I have a real kind of clear memory of there was a like a long a cross country thing, long distance cross country thing. But I sort of had already taken the assumption that I was going to be terrible at this. So me and a bloke that I knew, bloke, we were like 13. Um, we sort of hung back at the back and sort of walked away most about it, kind of just moaning about, oh, you know, isn't this ridiculous? Isn't this nuts? We were starting to approach the finish line. He started sprinting, like, health leather, absolutely as quickly as he could. And I thought, oh, oh no, I'm going to be last. We were kind of, you know, we were going to be last together. And I ran as fast as I possibly could, and I came last. So this was the kind of story I had for myself about what I am as a runner and this is what people do this is what this is vast majority of the work that I do with people is understanding that the way that you see yourself isn't true it's a story it is a version of events based on kind of good reason but we don't update it later in life I've done a marathon and I still don't really own the fact that I'm reasonably good you see I can't even say it reasonably good at yeah I see you stuttered things. there you you were you were hesitant there I I really I, you know I get that mm. it's the, obviously the story that you've given yourself it, it sticks with people doesn't it mm. it absolutely does and it affects the way that you see things it affects what you are able to see so if you have a story in your head that you are no good at swimming or you're no good at running you can do those things as much as you like it will be hard for you to see what you have achieved because it doesn't fit the view that you already have of yourself. I actually ended up getting into running when I was start, starting to train to be a therapist. So I got a post up in North Yorkshire, lovely part of the world, and I moved up to Scarborough when I was in my early 20s. And I was training to be a therapist. It's what we call a low-intensity therapist. And one of the key things you'll work with is depression. And one of the ways in which you will work with people on depression is what they end up doing because when you feel depressed the symptoms that come with depression keep you depressed so it's you're exhausted you've got no motivation you, everything looks bleak why would you be bounding out of bed all you want to do is stay at home why would you, you know, if you've ever had a really rough day at work and you feel really ill the natural reaction is to want to do less but unfortunately mm. the natural reaction to doing less is to feel worse so one of the things that we'll do with depression is to help people kind of get themselves back on their feet a little bit. And I was sat in a lecture listening to this, this approach and sort of a description about how people can feel. And I remember just sitting there thinking, oh, hold up, hold up. This is, this is happening a little bit to me. I'd moved up there for this brilliant job that I've been waiting for for ages. And I finally managed to get one. I got up there, I was really pleased. And it wasn't quite what I expected. It was a brand new service. There was no infrastructure whatsoever, which essentially ended up being me working at home on my own in a, this tiny little flat that I had, which was in essentially the roof of a three-storey building. Um, and this is, again, the common misconception about depression. People will come in and say, I don't know why I feel depressed. I've got nothing to feel depressed about. And neither did I. Mm. Um, but that's kind of not the point. It happens quietly often, depression. And it's a build-up of things gradually, gradually, gradually. And the things that I noted when I was in this lecture was, yeah, I'm struggling to get myself out of bed. I can't be bothered. I kind of think, well, what's the point? What have I got to do today? So... I kind of had a decision in my mind. I'm going to get myself out and about. That's what I'm going to do. So I started getting up early and going and doing my work in a pub 
I didn't have a drink. I didn't have a cup of tea. I must clarify. Um, early morning. Just to be out. Just to be Just out. Just to be around Absolutely. people. Just to be out, be around people. And then I also thought, well, I'll go for walks and then I'll see if I can do some running. And it really did do something for me. I felt a little bit better about myself. I felt like I was getting out a little bit and it gave me a little bit of structure. All sorts of things like that. And it was from that that I discovered, actually, I can run. I can't run super, super fast. I'm not going to break any records anytime, but I can run and I'm all right at it, actually. And that made me sign up for the marathon. So my expectations were to finish. <laughs> That's what, that was my aim. I thought, right, if I get round, I'll be happy and that'll be all right. That's a good goal, it was ace. I've got to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a therapist. You know, I thought, I'm going to have to practice what I preach here and be reasonable to myself. Yeah. But one of my mates had done one and he got four hours, 30, 38, I think. And I had that in my mind, which was... If I can not do worse than that, if I can do just a little bit, if I can just meet that, that would be great. And I did all right. I was doing fine. Halfway point, and I was absolutely smashing it, probably on two hours sure. to get to the halfway point. But the Robin Hood marathon uh, is mostly a half. And my wife took a picture of me just after the halfway point, and I'm on my own. So there's just nobody around. So, so 11,000 people, 10,000 of them just finished at the halfway point. And I was doing really well, having a lovely time. I was talking to people about, you know, what are you going to treat yourself to when you finish with this? And then past the halfway point, and I'm literally on my own, heading directly out of the city where there is literally no spectators either. And I just really struggled with it. But I got to the end, I got 4.37. I just got, like, just within... <laughs> what my mate had got and that I think tells you a little bit about motivation I'm interested here because obviously you had this time in your head 4.38 you got to beat that otherwise you're going to unfriend and delete your mate's number <laughs> you went under by a minute yeah. had you have come in at 4.40 how would that how would that have that story have gone how would you have felt do you think that's really interesting would it have changed anything it's a really interesting question. I think for me at that point, I was kind of aware enough of some of the drivers that were inside me. So it was part of me going, you know, don't, embar don't embarrass yourself. That was the language it was using. Don't embarrass yourself. Whereas there was part of me going, don't be ridiculous. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, I think if it had been way over, I think if it had been like five hours or something, I would have felt a little bit disappointed Oh, in, as it was, I felt a little bit disappointed just because when I got to the end, I thought, actually, I feel like I could have done a little bit better there. I feel like I could have pushed that a little bit harder, which in one way was slightly disappointing, but in another way was really encouraging. I kind of thought, I actually have more in me than I thought. I walked away from it just feeling like, right, I've done that now. And I haven't, I haven't done any other competitive racing since. It was almost like that was my... I sort of needed to show myself this is something I can do. I think people need to acknowledge themselves. I think they'd benefit from acknowledging what they have achieved rather than focusing. Mm -hmm. Again, we, we talk about what people focus on and the story they give themselves. Focusing on what they haven't achieved and where they're not, you know, because mm -hmm. actually I've always said with running as well, you, you can't shortcut it. If you're going out there and you're running four miles on a Tuesday, well, however that run goes whether you get a little bit of cramp and you have to stop at the side of the road and stretch it out whether you're as fast as you hoped you would be or you're slower you've still covered four miles you've got out there and you've done it nobody else can do it for you you've got to do it yourself mm. you know if you're sat on a bike and not to offend any cyclist at all it's a, it's a super challenging sport I know that but actually you, you could stop pedalling and you could still gain some momentum you, you know you're still moving forwards whereas actually running you're just powering yourself the whole time and I, I think some 
times people should just take a moment, reflect how far they've come, rather than focusing on where they're not. And you talk about disappointment there, and I find that fascinating because disappointment can come from different things, can't it? So disappointment, you, you, I think you said, oh, I was sort of slightly disappointed because actually I'm thinking, oh, could I have gone a bit quicker? Well, that, I see that as almost... I almost see that, for want of a better expression, as kind of like positive disappointment mm. because it's encouraging, which is the word you used, isn't it? Whereas if you're kind of setting off too quick, which is quite typical for people, then you're sort of crashing and burning and you're dragging yourself across the line, you're disappointed. That can have a different effect. But either way, I firmly believe that disappointment either destroys you or it drives you, it pushes you on. Now, I'm somebody that certainly mm. drives me. It doesn't mean that I haven't had my fair share of disappointments and I don't have that moment, bear with a sore head, want to shut the world out, a bit grumpy. But then I find a way to come out of it fairly quickly and that fuels me to, to drive on to other things. Now, we spoke very briefly before we, mm. we had you on the show, Ted, and we were talking about how people often use running to enhance their mental state of mind mm. uh, to give them the freedom in their life to get them feeling better but then that very thing that people turn to for escapism they can use as a as another stick to beat themselves down with absolutely because yeah. they're putting too much pressure on themselves they're being a perfectionist or they have really high standards what are your thoughts on 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 managing that and how people can just sort of set that bar as it were do you have you got any particular techniques or thoughts on on in terms of things people should consider when putting pressure on themselves yeah. and setting goals one of the theories within mental health is that kind of satisfaction doesn't necessarily come from achievement of things from ticking things off but more having a a long-term direction that you want to head in so for example you might get short-term satisfaction from beating the time that you had last time but that has an end somewhere. <laughs> you will eventually hit a plateau. Or indeed, it definitely has an end somewhere because you'll get older. You know, what are you going to be beating your times every single time? You know, are you going to, in your 80s, are you going to be beating the times you got in your 40s? Probably not, is the answer sure. to that. So there is an end to that. And if that's the only way you get a sense of kind of achievement and self respect, then that will eventually lead you. To struggle, being realistic with yourself. If you know you have to beat it every time, what are you going to do when you get to the point where that no longer is the case? And what that can lead people to do is enter this position where they kind of they're really on it for a while, and they're running, they're running, they're running, they're running, and they're really motivated, really loving it. But then it tails off completely, and they sort of crash. They don't do anything, and they go and eat as many donuts as they can. We see that a lot, yeah. don't we? We see people kind of fall off. You know, Strava. All of a sudden, people just disappear. It's like they've spontaneously combusted. You know, one minute they're on it, and the next minute, nothing. All or nothing thinking can be really part of that. So um, you see that a lot in sort of self care, which is I'm either doing it or I'm not. So I'm either running every single day and eating steamed chicken and rice <laughs> all day every day, or. I'm eating burgers and donuts and I'm playing PlayStation. And there's no in-between. If you want to run because you have a need to improve on things every single time, you really need that satisfaction, but that satisfaction is short-lived, then that cycle is more likely. If you are able to sort of shift your perspective and ask yourself, you know, what am I doing this for? When I am 70 or 80, how do I want to have spent my time do I want to have constantly felt pressure and to have put pressure upon myself? Or do I want to be able to say that on my weekend runs, I genuinely finished having had quite a nice time? Some people find it easy to take breaks and have just to just chill out and relax and switch off. And some people find that really hard. 
And running tends to be one of those things that people who can't give themselves a break use to try and give themselves a break. And <laughs> sometimes that's really positive. And sometimes it becomes just another thing for them to beat themselves with. So I had a client once who uh, who sort of defined his main problem as, you know, I'm always really hard on myself. And that's what's that's part of what's driving the way that I feel. And I asked him, well, what do you do to sort of chill out? And I, frankly, there was part of me going, I bet you, I bet, I bet you don't. And he said, oh, no, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. I t- I, yeah, absolutely. I take time out and I chill out. I say, oh, right. What do you do? He says, well on a Wednesday morning at 5am there's a boot camp <laughs> so <laughs> so even in his leisure time he was taking the exact same approach which is what we do this is what we do you know who you are is who you are and it affects everything you do it's not to say you can't learn about that and learn how to take useful choices for yourself but we had to practice me and him as part of helping him kind of take better care of himself we had to practice doing less so I said alright what do you actually get out of that he said well when I feel like I've really pushed myself then I feel quite good about myself. And I said, how long does that last? He says, well, until, until I get home. And then I'm on to the next thing and I have to kind of push myself on that as well. So we spoke about, A, learning how to genuinely appreciate what you've done. And one thing that people really struggle with this, about this is that it feels like you're asking them to be um, really sort of, wee, aren't you marvellous? And people really feel uncomfortable with that. But actually all we're mm. really asking, all, all we're really aiming for with any sort of self-esteem is treating yourself the same way you treat someone else. No better, no worse. And practising, making the things that you do, not only about achievement, but also about kind of being and enjoying. So if you are concentrating on getting the better time, all you're really thinking about is the finish line, needing to get there. Whereas if you're able to dial some of that back and say, okay, well, that's not the only reason I got into this thing. And somebody said to me recently, we were talking about this kind of stuff and the pressure that runners put on, on uh, you know, on, on, on ourselves as runners we put on ourselves. We think the things that we tell ourselves, we wouldn't tell our partner. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say, well, you're rubbish at that. You know, you're not a proper runner or you're not a proper this or you're not that. But actually we can be really hard on ourselves mm-hmm. and, and, you know, treat yourself as you would treat others, which is what you said there. And I think that's a, that's a really powerful thing and not necessarily an easy habit to create, but definitely one that is of high value if you can. Ted, it's been awesome chatting to you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to find out more about uh, you and what you're up to and the services that you offer, where can they find you and connect with you? Barefoot Coaching is the organisation I work for. You can find us on all the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. You'll see me pop up doing little videos on anxiety or around how to help people deal with whatever. And I also run through Barefoot Coaching. I run a couple of short courses on managing stress and anxiety with CBT. So come along, learn how to sort of apply certain techniques to yourself. You might be able to then apply that to somebody else if you wanted to. So yeah, we run a few different things like that and we really enjoy it. Awesome. Ted, great to chat to you. Catch up soon. Brilliant. Cheers, Jake. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and follow us on social media. It's hashtag Ask Jake, and today on the show we have a bit of a science-based question from Damien. He's getting into a bit of heart rate-based training, and he wants to know what is meant by heart rate reserve. He's heard the term being banded around, and he wants to 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 know what exactly that means. Well, heart rate reserve, Damien, can also be referred to as your working heart rate, and it's basically the difference between your maximum heart rate and your resting heart rate. It's effectively your operating window if you like. So let's keep the numbers really simple. Let's assume that your maximum heart rate is 200 beats per minute and your resting heart rate, you're a fit guy, is 50 beats per minute. 
That gives you a difference, taking 50 away from 200, of 150 beats per minute. That is your operating window because you can't go lower than 50 beats because that is your resting heart rate and your maximum heart rate is 200, so you can't go above. So that is what is meant by heart rate reserve. I hope that helps. Keep the questions coming. Whether they're science-based or not is hashtag AskJake. That's it. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. We will, of course, be back next week for more selfie stick action, hashtag AskJakes, and real runners with real stories. This is the Running With Jake podcast. And I have one more thing you should know. Never say never, because limits, like fears, are very often just illusions. Apart from hitting the wall in a marathon. I mean, that shit's real. And on next week's episode of Running With Jake. Ross Davenport. We would swim, give or take, one or two lengths, but we would swim probably 100,000 lengths a year. I swam internationally for 10 years, so a million lengths, give or take, in the the last 10 years of, of my swimming career. Running With Jake, the podcast. We're out.